Welcome to Our Creator Calls, where we seek truth together. My guest this week is Dr. Brian Artis, and if you've never heard him speak before, get ready to hear some things that may challenge your preconceptions. Dr. Brian Artis is a retired chiropractor, certified acupuncturist, and nutritionist. In 2019, he and his wife Jane launched Artist Labs, a company that is primarily focused on creating doubt in big pharma and restoring faith in the healing power that God infused in our bodies and in nature all around us. As he puts it, when God created earth and man, he got it right the first time. Dr. Artis first became widely known around the world when he warned about the dangers of remdesivir in 2020 following a personal tragedy. Then in 2022, he became known as a snake venom guy after his interview with Stu Peters in Watch the Water, which went viral. Dr. Brian Artis is a tireless and fearless researcher always seeking to weed out deception in health and medicine and to seek truth no matter where it leads. A voice, a voice calling in your wilderness. Well, Dr. Brian Artis, thank you so much for joining me today, making time in your very busy schedule with what you're doing online, what you're doing with your practice, what you're doing with your family. I really appreciate it. Thank you so much. It's great to be here. Thank you for inviting me. I like uh, educating audiences, no matter where it is, who it is, and what platform. So I'm proud of individuals like yourself who are actually creating a platform where truth can be shared with people around the world. Well, that is my goal. It's been something I used to work in media many, many years ago before I became a Christian. I was um, a broadcast journalist for many years. And so this is something I wanted to do since before podcasts were even a thing. But, you know, a lot of things uh, happened and uh, now was the time for this year. And, you know, I think about that. I think about you. And I was looking at uh, your website and, and your bio. And I found it really interesting that you started Artist Labs in 2019. I'm just going to read what you said to create doubt in big pharma and restore faith in nature. And that was in 2019. I mean, did you have any idea at that point what you were in for, the ride that was about to happen? I had no idea. All I know is uh, I had actually spent a year and a half developing natural products to address issues worldwide from a natural standpoint, which is what I was doing in practice since 2004 with thousands of patients from around the world here in Dallas, Texas, and in Knoxville, Tennessee, where my previous practice was. I sold both of those, one in 2009, and then the Texas one in 2018. And the reason why I sold it was is I was using clinical applications using nutrition, dietary recommendations, uh, homeopathics, herbs, minerals, vitamins, and was restoring to health to all kinds of people that were being medically diagnosed with situations they could never overcome, supposedly, and would just have a prognosis of living on drugs for the rest of their life. Well, I found that was uh, very, very not true. Let's just put it that way. That was a flat out lie to people. They just had no idea. So I thought, how great would it be to take the same principles I learned in practice and start developing products and formulating things that can help address major issues that are affecting millions worldwide. So I was going to develop products. I started because I at the time had four teenage children and each of them had in 2018, 19 and 20 various amounts of acne. And they asked me, dad, now that you're retired, can you, can you like formulate products for us to eradicate acne that was affecting each of them emotionally and physically? 
And I said, absolutely. When I had acne as a kid, I hated that stuff and it affected me emotionally, physically. So I set out to create a formulation of my own, which is now called the Artist Labs Clear Skin Complex. But for a year, I developed a formulation. It took me like 10 different formulations from research papers and then sourcing raw ingredients from around the world at home here. And I was developing with capsule machines I purchased to actually develop my own formulations. It took the 10th formulation was the absolute greatest one. We did a clinical trial here in Dallas, Texas, October of 2019. And the results were phenomenal after a month. So I decided to launch the product officially in 2019. January of 2020 is when we put it all on a website, launched it, was ready to go. And then the very next month in February of 2020. So just to summarize what I created over a year and a half, it was a supplement called Artist Labs Clear Skin Complex that has a combination of minerals, vitamins, and herbs that actually handle why it is you create acne in the first place, which mm-hmm. is 100% a nutritional vitamin or mineral deficiency that leads to excess hormone production of estrogen and testosterone that causes mucus or pus in your skin called sebum to make acne. So if you just feed the body what it needs, it'll lower those hormones naturally, and then you stop overproducing this mucus or pus in your skin. So we had figured that out. It was an incredible formulation. And then I decided to create a natural cleanser topically and moisturizer because most of the kids in the country and the world and adults were using very toxic acne products. Mm-hmm. I mean, I'm going to tell you right now, Proactive by itself has 42 different chemicals every application, afternoon, lunch, and evening that they recommend for their cleansers and toners and creams. They have 42 per application chemicals that we know cause cancer, disrupt hormone balance. So I wanted to make sure if that was what was accepted to use worldwide, I was going to have a better, cleaner product for my own kids. And then we launched it all as a kit. So it's the supplement, cleanser and cream, all natural topical cosmetics. Launched that January of 2020 officially. uh, And we were very excited. And then the very next month, a month later, my father-in-law entered a hospital in February of 2020, was killed in nine days with a regimen protocol they called it for the flu Uh, within 24 hours the drug regimen caused acute kidney failure flooded their his lungs with water made him gain 20 pounds of water weight over five days the water flooded his lungs that they were shutting down his kidneys with these drugs the result was flooding the lungs with water the heart filled up with water then his brain did and he went unconscious and went on a breathing treatment and a lot of people know the story but if you haven't seen it or known the story I went up there on day six, changed the entire protocols with the team of medical doctors there. They changed the drug protocols after hours of fighting with them, but they did agree to do it. Changed the protocol within four hours. He became conscious for the first time in 48 hours, came off the breathing apparatus. Uh, He didn't need help anymore to breathe. And he woke up. We were told he was going to die as a result of his uh, acute kidney failure that was getting worse every day. That uh, was actually being caused by the drugs they had him on. So when we took him off of it and switched him to other medications to help get all the water out of him, he recovered in five hours. The very next morning, sorry, that same evening after we go home visiting with him for several days, my wife and all the family are all very excited that he's turned around and become alert again. We leave, go home after visiting hours are over. Within an hour of getting home, the nurse's station calls my wife to say the hospital administrators here in Dallas, Texas, and the team of medical doctors all had a meeting after we left and had the nurse's station call my wife and tell them 
tell Jane Artis they are canceling the changes to his treatment and they're going back to the original protocol and Dr. Artis is not allowed to come up here and communicate with us any further. We will only talk to the direct family members. So the very next morning I went up there, challenged the doctors, screamed and yelled at the nurses in the hallway, in the room, and then they had security come in and kick me up. Wow. And convinced my wife's family over the next three days to follow the recommendations of uh, the doctors. And on day three, uh, they put him on a palliative care protocol after they lied to my wife's family and said he couldn't survive a transfer, which my wife was demanding. And they said, no, he will not survive an ambulance ride. You need to put him on morphine right now for palliative care and let him pass peacefully. And I watched them kill my father-in-law in front of me, overdosing him on a deadly morphine overdose that stops your heart from beating, diaphragm from contracting until he took his last breath. And that is exactly what palliative care is. They are euthanizing your loved one right in front of you, just like you do with a dog or cat you own when you go to a vet. They are putting you on a sedative drug to make you stop being able to breathe. And that's what they're doing to your loved ones. They are absolutely flat getting away with murder every day in the hospital and lying to you saying this is just to reduce their pain and suffering. No, it isn't. Unless you think reducing pain and suffering means murdering them so they can't feel or breathe ever again, which is exactly what they did. So at that point, I stopped focusing on the artist lab stuff altogether. That wasn't the main thing. I was actually obsessed with trying to build a Mm -hmm. court case against the hospital, even though the family didn't want it. My wife did, but the rest of the family didn't. They all just accepted what the medical doctors told them. So over a three-month period, I was just building out, doing research, building out my course case, documenting everything. And then imagine my shock in April of 2020, just a couple months later, I start hearing reports in the media out of New York about COVID. And every single hospital administrator and doctor treating COVID-19 patients that was only in New York City at the time, they were all reporting the same thing that they had never seen a respiratory virus ever do this before. And they all reported every single person in every hospital ever was saying, when you start treating this respiratory virus within 24 hours, it goes from the lungs and attacks the kidneys and is causing acute kidney failure. And 30% plus of all people were treating. We have never seen a virus do this before. And this is when I recognizing that this is the exact same thing that occurred to my father-in-law just three months earlier was acute kidney failure from a drug they gave him for the flu, which was a virus supposedly, just like this COVID virus was in New York. I actually thought they were doing the same protocol with my father-in-law. So I thought they gave him the same drug in New York, only to find out it was a drug I'd never heard of, a drug called remdesivir. When I found the protocol on the NIH's website, uh, I read this article from Anthony Fauci. There was just one web page about COVID on all of NIH's website at the time. This is early on in COVID. And it had a memo, three-page paragraph, or a one-page, three-paragraph memo statement from Dr. Anthony Fauci stating that the only drug allowed to be used for COVID-19 patients is an experimental drug called remdesivir. And then it highlighted two research papers that he said proved it was safe and effective against the Ebola virus in Africa a year earlier and in a study done for COVID-19 patients. And imagine my shock to open up the, I clicked the email, the actual hyperlink in the memo to the New England Journal of Medicine paper from Ebola trial in Africa in 2019, only to discover that remdesivir killed 53% of all the people in that trial. And halfway through the one-year trial, the safety board removed it from the trial and told Anthony Fauci, who funded the paper and the research study, in August of 2019, told him, 
this drug is too toxic and deadly. It killed 53% of all people that got the drug. And imagine my shock to find out that was Anthony Fauci's study after I read the study and then realizing in May of 2020, not even a year later, he's lying to the whole world about its efficacy and safety. Then I realized, oh my God, you're attempting to murder people in hospitals by lying to them. So I hired a publicist from my home and uh, worked with that individual for four months straight, did 40 to 50 interviews from my dining room table, trying to warn the whole world that uh, Anthony Fauci was lying to all of you. And it's a setup. And it's going to be a genocide found in ICUs around the world. They're going to treat this like some new Holocaust camp, like in the during the Holocaust with the Nazis and the Jews. And that's what I've been professing ever since. And sure enough, what are we seeing? Every country that's using remdesivir as their only treatment for COVID have all of the highest death tolls. But no one, no country in the world has more deaths from supposedly COVID-19 than the United States of America. Imagine that. Supposedly, the one country with the greatest healthcare system on earth has the worst outcomes during a pandemic. You want to know what the only difference is? Of the three years during this pandemic, there was only one country who actually used remdesivir for the entire first year of the pandemic. No other country even had access to it, and that was the United States of America. And at the end of 2020, there was 2.2 million deaths worldwide. America had 1.5 million of them. And America only has 4% of the entire world's population. How could a deadly virus going around the entire world equal the most deaths in one of the least populated countries that represent the entire world's population? There's only one reason. They pumped them all full of remdesivir that was proven to cause multiple organ failure and acute kidney failure before they started using it for COVID. In four human trials, it failed before 2020. And 31% of all people that got that drug for at least 10 days all developed multiple organ failure and kidney failure. That's what they proved. And right now we're seeing the same statistics in hospitals worldwide. You know, thank you for sharing that. I've heard some of that story, but that's the first time I've heard that much depth to the story. So I just want to say, I know it's been a number of years, but what a huge loss. And I just want to give you my condolences. It must have been so hard. And I think about this, I I can think about people, um, you know, in... 2021, I can think of two people who I was hoping to interview at some point, really uh, very, very well-informed people who were actually warning about exactly some of the things you've just warned about. And they both, unfortunately, ended up in the hospital, took remdesivir, and they died shortly after. It's hard to fathom for people who are not aware of the whole pharmaceutical issue and how long this has been going on. This is not just a recent thing, right? And it's hard, like what you said about um, the natural, that that our bodies, and even with the acne, all the pharmaceutical drugs and and what they're doing to the human body. This is something I've been researching for many years myself. And I really appreciate that you have basically been on a, uh, this is your life's work now to, to warn people. And this has been a launching pad. So now people have called you the remdesivir guy because of what just happened to you and your family. What about where it goes from there and how it, it took you. You really became very well known when you did the the interview first off about the snake venom. I remember when that hit, it made a lot, a lot of waves. I thought it made total sense personally when you said it because it just did. But can you explain for people who have a hard time understanding what you were talking about in that regard? Sure. Yeah. It's a very, very 
Very good wrap up there in synopsis. Uh, the last three and a half years of my life, the first year and a half of the pandemic, I was called this, the uh, remdesivir guy worldwide. I've been asked to be deposed everywhere you can think of. I have been testifying in every state capitol building in the United States, uh, testifying on behalf of the hospital protocols and how the state reps and elected officials should hold their medical boards and their state pharmacy boards accountable for all the atrocious things they were doing to medical doctors around the world and to citizens in the United States. So, I mean, I was, I cannot tell you how many state Capitol buildings I've been in. Me and Peter McCullough were all over the place being asked to go into all these Capitol buildings to testify him on the vaccine injuries and data, me on the hospital protocols. And we just stood arm in arm doing this over and over and over and over. And then something happened in December of 2021. So this is almost two years at the end of the pandemic. So the very next month would have been January of 2022. But at December 2021, the very first day of December, I got a text from Dr. Richard Bartlett, a medical doctor in Odessa, Texas. And the text to me, he's an ER doctor for decades. He writes me a text and the text is, hey, Dr. Artis, if you got bit by a rattlesnake, would you go to a hospital and get antivenom? And if you haven't seen the Watch the Water documentary with Stu Peters, that's how the documentary starts. They share that text thread. And Dr. Richard Bartlett sent that to me, and it felt like a random text. I had no idea what he was talking about. And this had nothing to do with COVID, I thought. Uh, but what I quickly learned was Dr. Richard Bartlett was using something called monoclonal antibodies to treat acute COVID cases. It wasn't allowed in his hospital, so he was doing it in an infusion center he built outside the hospital in a parking lot because he wasn't allowed to do that protocol in a hospital. And over a four-month period leading up to this December I'm talking about, he had treated 4,000 patients, 100% success rate treating them for acute COVID. And I didn't know something about this, but I had had a few interviews where I was saying I don't trust monoclonal antibodies like on InfoWars with Alex Jones and others. And these interviews were being sent to Richard Bartlett. So Dr. Bartlett had sent me this text and unbeknownst to me, I didn't know why he was sending it, but I knew he knew something about anti-venom treatment for snake bites that I knew he knew I didn't know. I'm a chiropractor. I don't treat snake bites. So he knew that if he sent me that text, that I was going to change my tune on monoclonal antibodies. So what did I learn? In about five minutes, all I did was go on the internet and typed in what are what is antivenom that I don't use and I've never prescribed and I've never treated before. So I just looked it up. What is antivenom? Imagine my shock to find out that that antivenom for ninety percent of all antivenom used in the world for venomous snake bites are actually monoclonal antibodies. Now, I had no idea that monoclonal antibodies were anti-venom to snake bites. I had no idea. Richard Bartlett just threw that text at me because he knew if I looked that up, that I, Dr. Brian Artis, would in fact trust in a life-threatening situation like a rattlesnake bite, I would go to a hospital and get anti-venom, and I would therefore be putting my trust and faith in monoclonal antibodies to save my life. And he knew I did not have that perspective. <laughs> so this was his way of going. He didn't badmouth me. He didn't slander me in the media. He just said, hey, doc, if you got bit by a rattlesnake, would you go to a hospital and get antivenom? And he knew I'm such a relentless researcher that I would figure out the answer. The mm -hmm. truth is, Dr. Bartlett, I would trust monoclonal antibodies that are also antivenom. If I got bit by a rattlesnake, that's all he wanted to know. So then I stopped talking about monoclonal antibodies in a negative light. 
I would trust them if I thought I had a life-threatening situation. And Dr. Bartlett was simply saying, all of his patients in Odessa, Texas, are coming to his monoclonal infusion center because they fear they are going to die from having COVID. Why? They are propagandizing COVID and all your symptoms and you're going to die. So they're looking for relief from the fear. And if I got bit by a rattlesnake, would I be afraid? Sure. Rattlesnake venom's deadly. So I would go looking for the therapeutic, which is monoclonal antibodies to save my own life. What was incredible was my very next thought was this. Yes, Dr. Bartlett, I would trust monoclonal antibodies. The very next thought was this. If monoclonal antibodies are 90% of all antivenom worldwide, why is it working so well against COVID? Like 100% of the time, it's totally successful. It just so happened also within two months of this text, our federal government here in the United States banned all monoclonal antibodies being allowed to treat COVID patients. And I was like, oh, they know something. They don't want this out there. So what I'd already figured out was my very next thought in December of 2021 was, why is it working so well for COVID-19? I thought this was a virus that came from a bat. So me being the relentless researcher was, my very next question was, go online and look up what is the origin of COVID-19's virus SARS-CoV-2. Now, why is this significant? This is important. I just told you what was going on in my life in January of 2020, working to release Artist Lab's brand of products for acne around the world, which affects 600 million people worldwide. I was very excited to launch that, and all my efforts were going towards that. The very next month, my father-in-law gets killed in the hospital. For the next three months, I am consumed with trying to actually build a case against the hospital, only to discover in May of 2020 that this guy, Anthony Fauci, is now lying to the whole world, and then I hired a publicist to get into the media to educate everybody. Unbeknownst to me, I had no idea what I had missed during all that period from January of 2020 until April of 2020 that was being published about COVID. Imagine my shock to go online. Go look it up right now. Snakes, the origin of COVID. Put it on, put it on Google. It doesn't matter. Go search it. Every researcher in China, in Wuhan, published that the actual origin of COVID and the pneumonia symptoms associated with it with the people in Wuhan, when they ran the antibodies and the blood work of everybody in the hospitals with this new pneumonia, they published the antibodies that the thing is fighting are actually fighting compounds found in the venom of two snakes. So the origin of COVID is two snakes. The Asian crate snake, spelled K-R-A-I-T, and its venom, and King Cobra venom. The third most likely source was bats. And it wasn't even close when they did the genetic testing. It was most identical to crate venom, second king cobra venom. So they said the origin of COVID must be snakes. So I didn't know this at all. I just I had no idea. It was amazing to see that even CNN and all the mainstream media were publishing in January, February, April, all the way through April 2020, that snakes were the origin of COVID. But during those four months, Every time a scientist published new information that venom was the source of COVID from snakes, all the mainstream media by the end of January were hiring fact checkers to fact check those stories away from the snake narrative and singularly wanting the whole world to only look at it as a bat virus source. 
So they were fact-checking all this away and only wanting doctors and scientists to look at bat viruses. That's all they wanted. They didn't want anybody looking at the snake venom translation of this virus. But I didn't know that. So in January of 2020, Chinese researchers confirmed the origin of COVID was two snakes, Asian crate and cobra toxin from the king cobra. And then in France, four months later, before I read Anthony Fauci's memo in May, I find this paper out of France. They actually took the spike protein on the outside of COVID, ran its genetic sequence, and then published what it was most identical to genetically. And they published it. They published it is most identical to crate venom protein from the venom of the crate snake called bungarotoxin. And then the second most thing it is most identical to, the spike protein of COVID, is most identical to king cobra venom's cobra toxin. So they said this protein on the outside of the virus for SARS-CoV-2 is most identical to these two venoms of these two snakes protein. And then imagine my shock as I'm doing research on my own that two months later in June of 2020, researchers in Italy mm-hmm. are looking at all this research coming out of China and France about this venom aspect of COVID. And they decided, let's go gather up people all over Italy and let's PCR test everybody. We'll have a negative COVID-19 group and a positive COVID-19 group from the PCR test. And they and the people who tested positive had to have symptoms of being sick. So they couldn't have just tested positive. They had to be sick with symptoms, fever, cough, chills, loss of taste and smell, you name it. And then they took these two groups and they took their blood, urine, and poop. And they ran all three of their tissues for the positive and negative COVID groups. And they did three different lab tests to confirm, is there any venoms in these bodies of these people? And the COVID-19 positive group had 36 different venoms from 36 different animals in their blood and in their feces. The negative COVID-19 group had zero. And then they published their findings. There was 20 different snake venom proteins from 20 different snakes that included crate snake venom and cobra venom. But there was another 18 different venomous snakes in the list. And then they also had 16 additional venoms from two different sources, starfish venoms in the ocean, a starfish called the crown of thorn starfish, which is a very venomous, deadly starfish in the ocean, was in COVID patients on land in their blood and feces. And then they found 15 different sea snail venoms from the ocean called conotoxins inside the blood and feces of the patients. Now, when you go through that table, when you look at the 36 different venoms, the three different lab tests they ran are so specific that it can tell you exactly the protein name and the DNA database catalog number and the source animal it comes from. And if you look at the protein names of each of the venom proteins from the 20 snakes and 16 different marine shell creatures, you can actually look at that protein list and by name, I can actually tell you every single symptom of COVID is caused by each one of those different proteins of venoms. Now, the question for most people when they watched my Watch the Water documentary was, Dr. Artis, they can't be milking snakes and putting it in our water. No, what you guys don't know is I never said they were milking snakes and milking sea snails in the ocean. No, no. They are manufacturing synthetically 
venoms of all creatures around the world in biological weapons labs. And they use E. coli bacteria, yeast, mammal cell lines, like you're a mammal and I'm a mammal, and then baccalovirus cell lines to replicate and manufacture large amounts of venoms. And they then they then freeze dry them, lyophilize them into a powder form. They come in a powder form that is water soluble. And these venoms, and I'm not joking, from snakes, scorpions, spiders, marine shell creatures like starfish and conotoxin snails, cone snails, they are manufacturing synthetic venoms around the world. Do you want to know what they're being used for? They are patented into drugs for viruses, vaccines for viruses, and then the second largest industry to use them is insecticides. I mean, do y'all know that they are now spreading all over Europe and all over England? Do you know that the number one insecticide being used right now sprayed out of crop dusters is synthetic manufactured in a lab scorpion venom and they have enough of it to spray clouds of it out of a plane all over your fields i mean this is what they do now who's the largest owner nobody knows this typically unless they do an interview with me but it is published by the nih in the united states of america that monsanto who manufactures glyphosate and roundup the weed killer and bug killer that they own, Monsanto does, not only glyphosate, they own the largest library of patents of insecticides made from snake venom, scorpion venom, and all spider venoms. So this is how they are spreading venom around the world to cause a sickness or illness called COVID. And all they have to do is all venoms, even in a powder form, are actually water-soluble and ingestible, and they're designed to actually be absorbed through your skin. And I proposed in the Watch the Water documentary, everybody be careful, you're drinking the venom in your water and you're showering in it. It's getting inside your eyes to get to your neurological centers of your brain. It's absorbed through your skin to get inside of your bloodstream within 25 seconds, which is what they prove through their patents. And it can be ingested and you can drink it. So be careful. This is exactly how they are creating the pandemic they call COVID. And I can tell you right now, I've done many, many presentations on this, and I've had to bring the whole world up to speed on this. For those who thought it was, that snake venom was COVID and the spike proteins of COVID, a lot of people were telling me that's that's not what it is. Well, the NIH just published last week in May of 2023, they just published a paper. Now look it up. It's called SARS-CoV-2 ectodomain of the spike protein targets alpha-7 nicotinic acetylcholine receptors. That's a whole lot of scientific words, but this is what it says. SARS-CoV-2 spike protein targets nicotine receptors. In the very first paragraph, it says the spike protein is most identical to HIV-1's glycoprotein and snake venom neurotoxins. Not me. NIH published it. And then they published that it targets nicotine receptors, which is exactly what I told the whole world in the Watch the Water documentary is that they are not targeting ACE2 receptors with these venom spike proteins. They're targeting nicotine receptors, which is why smokers aren't dying of COVID-19, nor are they being hospitalized for COVID. To this day, three and a half years later, smokers represent the least hospitalized and dying group of people worldwide with COVID. And they published in France, April of 2020, the reason why smokers aren't being affected by COVID 
when they figured out the spike protein was most identical to cobra venom and crate venom, they said these two venoms are neurotoxic, meaning they bind to nicotine receptors on nerves that control breathing, which is why you have respiratory failure with COVID patients. And they stated it's targeting alpha-7 nicotine receptors. And then they published, this is why smokers aren't ending up in hospitals. And governments around the world, they begged, these French researchers begged governments in their paper, you need to start doing nicotine agent studies for COVID. It's working for smokers. And everyone needs to start doing nicotine patches, nicotine gums, nicotine pouches to suck on to consider it to be an antidote for COVID. And then they published in the paper, April 2020, Ivermectin was, be, was at that time starting to be reported as an antidote for COVID. And guess what they published in that paper in April of 2020? Way before Pierre Corey came out talking about Ivermectin, they said Ivermectin binds to alpha-7 nicotine receptors, and that's how it's working to protect from these neurotoxic snake venoms <laughs> that they found was the spike protein. So uh, that's, that's basically what I educated the world on and just want you to know that uh, the NIH has now published it again this, this year. Just so you know, Dr. Chetty, he's a medical doctor in South Africa, January of this year, 2023. He's working with long-hauler COVID patients around the world who are not recovering. He took their stool samples and sent them to a scientist in Italy named Carlo Brogna. And in January of 2023, and just last month, him and I did a two-hour interview. In January of 2023, he started doing interviews and telling the world um, what we're finding in long-hauler COVID patients, thanks to Dr. Carlo Brogna in Italy, we found replicating in the bowels of every long-hauler COVID patients that wouldn't heal. We found replicating snake venom proteins sea snail venom proteins and starfish venom proteins and he says and it's a wonder how they got there and then the the dr philip who does his first interview after he does this research he goes are you telling me that covid19 is more of a bowel disease than a respiratory disease and dr chetty says yes that's exactly what i'm saying now there's something significant behind that statement i said in my watch the water documentary you're not inhaling this you're drinking it well, the whole world just needs to know this. When you inhale stuff into your lungs, it does not go to your bowels. So if you were inhaling it, it wouldn't be showing up in the gut of people. But when you swallow anything, food, water, that's how it gets into your bowels. So when Dr. Chetty says, it's a wonder how they got there, and it's more of a digestive bowel issue than it is a breathing issue, that's exactly and fits right in line with what we discussed and declared to the world is the true source of COVID. So... It will, over time, continue, and it already is. It's already fallen apart. The narrative that I was just a conspiracy theory about the snake venom aspect of COVID? No. I am not the scientist who is doing the research and publishing that snake venom is the source of COVID. Venoms are the spike protein of COVID. Venoms are causing COVID symptoms. These venoms are also causing you to have long-hauler COVID symptoms. Why? Venom is published that after an, a human is bit or stung by venom. When you treat the patient and they recover, it's been published for decades that venom stays in the human body for up to 10 years unless you detoxify it out. So this is how you create long-hauler COVID symptoms. And every single vaccine injury, I can tell you exactly what protein found in venoms are causing all of them. It's pretty nefarious. But uh, the Watch the Water documentary wrapped up with uh, no, not only was COVID-19 weaponized venoms, they're calling the spike protein of COVID. The word spike protein, by the way, every time y'all hear that, 
is just a pharmaceutical industry play on the real word snake proteins. This is an entire industry. I remember you talked about this when you were here in the, the lower mainland of Canada. This is a whole industry, this whole synthetic snake venom industry. I'd never heard that before until you said that. It, it totally makes sense based on what you're saying now. Yeah, it's incredible. So uh, they're using these venoms all over the world and manufacturing them all over. And uh, so also to wrap up the Watch the Water documentary, what was really disturbing was uh, I heard from Canada, a doctor named Charles Hoff. And last summer, two summers ago, actually now, when he was giving the mRNA COVID-19 Moderna shots to his patients in his British Columbia clinic, a lot of his patients started struggling to breathe and having respiratory issues. So he ran a test on all of his mRNA injected patients called a D-dimer test. And 60% of all people came back with positive D-dimers who had received an mRNA COVID-19 vaccine. And he warned the whole world that what a D-dimer test is evaluating for is whether or not the body is making blood clots that it is attempting to break down. And so elevated D-dimers means the body's breaking down blood clots. And this is the residual effect of the broken down blood clots is a D-dimer test. So he warned the whole world that these are the term Remdesivir, I'm the one that came up with the, with the phrase, run death is near to help people remember about remdesivir. And Dr. Charles Hoff came out with the clot shot phrase and everybody now figured out, oh yeah, there's a clotting aspect to these shots, which he was absolutely right about. But the elevated D-dimer was a test I wasn't familiar with. But at this time, I wanted to know, not only now do I know they're lying about the spike proteins of COVID and the weaponizing of venoms, calling it a virus. They don't need a virus. In fact, I would just like to propose this to the audiences. If it's actually the virus they're worried about, haven't you considered why are they not vaccinating anyone for the SARS-CoV-2 virus? They aren't vaccinating anybody for the virus. In fact, in the Pfizer, Moderna, Johnson & Johnson, Novavax, and the AstraZeneca shot and the Cobravax, it's called Cobravax, out of India, why do none of them have SARS-CoV-2 virus in them? What do they have in them? Five billion people have been injected with either spike proteins, which are venom proteins identified by multiple scientists around the world, or they're injecting you with the Pfizer and Moderna shot, which is mRNA technology to get your body to make the spike proteins. Notice they aren't vaccinating you for the virus. They don't care about the virus. The virus isn't a concern to them. They only care about the spike protein. So when I say who cares about the virus, they don't even care about the virus. They're not worried about a viral vector. They're only worried about a spike protein, which is a snake protein venom. So they have orchestrated spreading venom around the world and now are telling you the antidote is to inject more of these venomous spike proteins or to get your body to manufacture them, which is completely asinine, by the way. So I just want you to know, they're not vaccinating you for a, va a virus. They're vaccinating you for a venomous spike protein called a glycoprotein, sugar-coated protein. So when I saw the elevated D-dimer test, for your audiences, I didn't know what that was. As a chiropractor, I've never even heard of a D-dimer test. A lot of the medical doctors I know, I called them, they hadn't even heard of it, nor have they ever used it and had to go look it up themselves, learning from Charles Hoff, MD. So I went online, not a joke, anybody in Canada and worldwide watching this, you can do the same thing I did. If I don't know something, I go research it on my own. And it was super simple. All I did was type in 
how are medical doctors trained to interpret elevated D-dimers? I typed that into Google and then I hit enter. I wanted to know what are medical doctors supposed to look for? I've never even been trained on this test. What are they supposed to be looking for? So I typed it in the very first article that populates is from 2019 and it was updated just last year. Same article and it's on medscape.com. Click it and then hit the interpretation tab where they have a whole write-up on what people with elevated D-dimers, what medical doctors are supposed to look for. Imagine my shock, and all of you should be shocked too, and I showed all the audiences in Canada when I was there. They list five bullet points. These are scientific papers, by the way, telling your medical professionals what to go look for when you see this stuff. So Dr. Charles Hoff should have looked at this too. Not only does it tell you you have blood clots, it actually says the fifth bullet point of the five things. The first four on medscape.com say, medical doctors, when you see elevated D-dimers, they describe the first four bullet points are where to go looking for a blood clot in that person's body. It could be in their lungs, called a pulmonary embolism. It could be in the brain, called a cerebral thrombocytopenia. It could be disseminating intravascular coagulation, which is little bitty blood clots in your fingers, toes, all over your body. They also publish, it could be an effect if the patient is on a drug like warfarin or heparin, those are designed to break down blood clots. So if a patient's on that, you know it's working to create elevated D-dimers. The fifth bullet point says, medical doctors look for snake venom poisoning. So I, in my shock of reading this article that's still online right now, y'all should all be shocked worldwide, Dr. Hoff included. All of y'all should be looking for snake venom poisoning. The literature tells you to, I'm sorry the chiropractor brought it to your attention, but this isn't why I created the Watch the Water documentary. Now there's the second one we just released uh, two weeks ago, the Watch the Water part two, which has a ton more information in it. But... When I looked up and saw that snake venom poisoning is what you should look for with elevated D-dimers, my very next thing I did was this. And it should have been everybody in the world. When you learn that elevated D-dimers could be caused by snake venom poisoning, and these people are being vaccinated, all I needed to know was, who created the damn vaccine? So I went online to learn who created the mRNA vaccines that Charles Hoff used in his practice that led to 60% elevated D-dimers, which the medical literature says, go look for snake venom poisoning. All right, so I went online and I typed in who created the mRNA COVID-19 vaccines. Imagine my shock to find out it was not Robert W. Malone. I was shocked. I couldn't believe it. Because all I heard was rumors about his interviews and had met him, been on stages all over the place with him, done interviews and documentaries with him. He's always claiming to do it. But he didn't. Imagine my shock to realize, and everyone at home can Google it, the two people who have their names on the patents and who created mRNA technology that's in the COVID-19 shots right now are two scientists who still work at the University of Pennsylvania. Their names are Cataline Carrico and Drew Wiseman, W-E-I-S-S-M-A-N. They work at the University of Pennsylvania. When I discovered that they are receiving, you can look it up right now, Google it, they just received a $3 million royalty check for all their Moderna shots that have been passed out and Pfizer shots. These two people, not Malone, Drew Wiseman, Catalin Carrico. When I realized it was these two guys, my very next question was this. 
Remember, D-dimers go looking for snake venom. Poisoning is what the medical literature says. So the chiropractor at home went like this. What is elevated D-dimers? Oh my God, snake venom poisoning we should look for. Holy crap. Dr. Hoff injected mRNA into his patients. Let's go see who created the mRNA shots. It's Drew Wiseman and Catalina Carrico. My very next researching logical side of my brain goes like this. Okay, now I know who it is who made them that Charles Hoff injected into his patients. The next thing I Googled was Drew Wiseman and Catalina Carrico, and I added these words to the search, snake venom research. Are you following the narrative here? I, I'm just fo- I am following it, yes. I hit enter, and then it starts with research papers that populate on PubMed.gov starting in 2009. Now I know in the papers it has their names, Drew Wiseman and Catalina Carrico, and the words snake venom in it. So then I had to go look and see what does it say. Oh my God, 2009, 2011, 2012, 2015, 2017, 2019, every single research study, these two people were printing and publishing about their new mRNA COVID-19 vaccine creations. Every single paper, they are one, funded by the NIAID department of the NIH, which is Anthony Fauci's department. So ding, ding, every single paper, they say we are funded by the NIH to do one thing and one thing only, mRNA gene therapy. Okay, since 2009. Okay, great. This is exactly what they say these shots are supposed to be doing. They're mRNA gene therapy. mRNA to get your genes in your cells to make the venomous spike protein instead of them injecting inside of you. All right, great. So then I had to go into the papers to find out where's the word snake venom that would have generated the results in the Google search. So I just went into each of the papers. Imagine my shock that in every mRNA gene therapy research study conducted and done by Drew Wiseman and Catalina Carrico, who created mRNA shots, imagine my shock to read these statements in the papers, every single one of them. We use snake venom phosphodiesterase, a component of rattlesnake venom, to cleave RNA and DNA. Cleave means to cut. Picture a cleaver. They cut your RNA and DNA so that they can put in an mRNA of their choice instructions to change your genetic instructions. So they state in every paper, we use snake venom phosphodiesterase in something called RNases. And I had to go look up what's RNase. Well, RNase is a enzyme that cuts RNA. RNases, all of them that every single paper of these include, RNases also, I learned, are derived from snake venom. Oh my God. So these people are using snake venom components that they know are toxic, deadly, and destructive. That's how they get this mRNA inside your cells. They have to damage the outside cell wall, get inside your nucleus and damage your nuclear material, which is called DNA and RNA. And guess what they use to do that? A substance found in nature that does just that. It destroys cells and genetics to kill its prey. So now I know they use snake venom, phosphodiesterase, and RNases, which is from snake venom, to do their bidding to cut your RNA and DNA and insert the mRNA of their choice as they suggest. So this is when I blew the whistle in the Watch the Water documentary and did my first interview with Stu Peters and Mike Adams at the same time to release all the documents to warn the whole world there's snake venom in these shots. You should all avoid them. 
And uh, of course, that created a lot of conspiracy for some reason. I guess people didn't want to look and people still interview Robert Malone like he created this stuff. And it's very weird that the majority of the world didn't want to look at that. But oh my goodness, they're looking now. So it's very exciting to, to get continue to do relentlessly all these presentations, all these documentaries to bring people up to speed because why is this so important? If you don't know what the weapon is, how in the world do you think you're going to be able to successfully treat somebody? So let me just tell you what I've been doing for the last year and a half. As some people want to dismiss me, write conspiratorial articles about me to try to get not to look at the information, which is fine, even in this truth movement, which is weird. It didn't matter. I'm just going to continue to plug along because it will get out. Truth always prevails. And I just continue to pump it out there. I, there is nobody else you can tell me. I haven't heard of it. But we've got right now, I'm working with Dr. Henry Ely with 60 patients who have been permanently injured from the COVID-19 shots. Doesn't matter which one. Some of which are paralyzed from the neck down for the rest of their life, they've been told. Do you know that in two months of applying information I've gathered from research papers from around the world, looking for antidotes to every single component of snake venoms and venoms and toxins of creatures that have venom in them. They publish all the antidotes. They're found in plants. We have actually taken all of these things in nature and are applying it to these individuals who are paralyzed. And do you know 10 of these 60 people in two months who were told they would never walk again are now back to work, enjoying activities with their family, and we're only using natural antidotes to snake venom proteins in the human body that is published to one, release the venom from your cells, break the actual venom apart into pieces, and then bind natural substances to the venom pieces so your body can digest them out. For those of you at home that may have heard of the process called chelation of heavy metals, it's binding to toxins, toxic metals and chemicals, and drawing it out of the body. You have to do the same type of principle when it's coming to eliminating venoms from the human body. And it has been a phenomenal experience educating and then applying these principles. For example, nicotine, Oh my God, you know how many hundreds of thousands of people around the world have all their long hauler COVID symptoms eradicated in 45 minutes or less simply chewing nicotine gum or wearing a nicotine patch? Uh, that, that was always the perfect antidote to COVID, but I find it miraculous. Not a single, okay, there are a couple, very few, but of the main speakers that are medical doctors speaking on COVID, uh, none of them have reached out to me to ask me, even when I'm on stage in front of them and hundreds of people in the audiences are running up to me to say, thank you for the nicotine recommendations. All of my life is better. You know, none of them have asked me to explain it to them. No, them, no none of them have ever talked about it with their patients. They might privately, but they definitely don't make it public like I have been, but uh, it's pretty, so, it's been a you, pretty you, amazing ride. Yeah. You've, I can only imagine you've given a lot of information. Some people listening to this will have heard some of it. Someone would have not heard any of it. I remember watching the uh, Watch the Water documentary when it first came out, and I know you took a lot of flack for that. You alluded to that a little bit just now, and even what, what, what you just said about nicotine. So why is there so much pushback, even from those who were supposedly trying to get the truth out about what was really going on? There's so yeah. much There's so much of this going on, and yet yeah. you're relentless in your pursuit of trying to get this truth out. Why is there so much pushback? You said at one point, I think in Canada, when you were here, that there was an intervention. People were trying to help you. What they thought you went off oh, your, your rocker wrong. or something, right? 
Oh yeah. Oh, there was many, many medical doctors and scientists who would have me literally for months, like three months total. It was every day, all day, 30, 50, a hundred medical doctors would get on a zoom call and scientists around the world to hold an intervention with me. And I would let them just chew me out, tell me what I was wrong about, blah, blah. They're very upset. And what was interesting was, um, uh, I actually found it very odd how upset they were. <laughs> I was like, what are you so mad about? You know, it was funny. They all said initially that they were more upset because I had hurt my reputation is what they said. And it was so funny because I'd let them rant. Do you know how much of your reputation you just tarnished and damaged from all the hard work you've done for the last year and a half with the remdesivir stuff? And I'd go like this. I don't even know who you are. I had no idea you were so concerned about my reputation. Of all people on the planet, who should be more concerned about my reputation? Me. Why are y'all so, I knew their upset was not my reputation. And I'll just say it here. Uh, Paul Elias Alexander. I don't know if you saw his presentations with me in Canada, but in the last one in Surrey, Van, in uh, uh, Vancouver, British Columbia, he goes, um, somebody asked for a phone call the day after watch the water documentary came out and there, every scientist and medical doctor, you know, and I know were in this zoom call and it was called by one person to kick me out of this entire movement and never talk to me again is what they asked for. They wanted to shun me, kick me out of events, not fundraise or actually support those events if I'm included. And this one person got all of them to agree. And the only person who vocalized they would not go along with this was Dr. Paul Elias Alexander. He goes, no, that guy's a hero. I'm not doing that to him. So he was very staunch about it. They hung up their phones, got off the Zoom call. Everybody else agreed. One doctor called him after the phone call ended and said, I will, I'm on your side. I'll support Dr. Artis privately. And that was Dr. Ryan Cole. So regardless of not wanting to do that publicly, everybody on that phone call are damn cowards. And when of, was that phone call? How long ago was that? That was a year and three months ago. So any of those people who agreed with this guy, by the way, it was Robert W. Malone who did it. Uh, Paul Elias told me offstage that's who did it. But uh, it's pretty ridiculous. So this guy's trying to control the narrative. And what's interesting is I showed there in Canada, every single one of you that were there. And if, if you haven't watched it, go watch it. Laura Lynn's probably still got that stuff uh, accessible. The very last thing I showed the whole world was people have always asked me, why does Robert Malone continue in all of his interviews that don't include me? He will state, don't ask me about any snake venom peptides. I'll answer any other questions. Just don't ask me anything about that before they start the interview. And if they don't agree to that, he won't do the interview. So then people like Mike Adams, Stu Peters always call me and go, why won't he address this topic? And I'll go, I don't know. Ask him. Yeah, I don't know. Well, it became very clear just a few months ago. Uh, people were sending me papers they were finding of Robert W. Malone. He actually has patents since 1994. And I showed them there in Canada. He has patents that include injections into mammals of DNA that include ricin, diphtheria toxin, and king cobra venom into humans that have cancer. And then his statement is, these venomous toxins are a great therapeutic. So we showed the patents. This is why he won't discuss it. He owns patents and shares patents of delivery drugs in vaccines that contain snake venom. So he doesn't want you to know and answer questions about that because either he cares more about money than he cares about you. But uh, 
and and that greed just does it. So anyway, it's pretty disgusting. I was just always bothered that he was lying, that he created the mRNA technology. I think he was just mad that Catalina Carrico and Drew Wiseman got the credit. He never, ever worked with mRNA, but he did work with RNA and DNA. He very much did do that, but uh, I don't know where he comes with this idea that his technology is also including that he invented mRNA when in fact it didn't. But uh, anyway. Yeah, I, I saw many interviews about that all the way yeah, through. That's always been what was, was on there. So what is the end game and why is this all happening? And you've given a lot of information here and I will include some links here to some of the therapies for the, the masses amount of people who have suffered so much from these uh, vaccines. It's just horrendous what's been going on. And I do believe that it can be healed totally naturally. I totally believe that. And that's what uh, we'll have to move forward with trying to help people to understand. It's not going to happen from a pharmaceutical it's going to happen from natural healing. I'm, I'm totally on board with that because from my own experience and, and understanding and research that I've done over many years as well. Why is this? Why though? What's the why about all of this? If you could sum, sum, summarize this, what is the why as to the snake venom? Why no one wants to talk about it going forward? How would you summarize that? So number, yeah, great question. So number one, uh, why don't they want to talk about it? So number one, they want to control the narrative from a mainstream media perspective. They don't want you knowing they're using venom. Why? They didn't tell you that it was all venom. And they didn't tell you the answer was going to be a venom-contained laced vaccine either. So if they admit to that, oh my God, how many people are going to be liable for injury and fraud for lying to you? You know, Subway Food Chain, the Subway Sandwich Company, got sued by a guy for false advertising when he actually took a tape measure and measured his foot long sub. And it was only 11 and a half inches. He sued them for false advertising and won. they settled out of court. So there's no way that these organizations want to admit to you that we spread venom around the world and called it COVID and that we used weaponized E. coli and yeast to actually facilitate the worst outcomes in water, in food and in your body. They don't want you to know that. They also don't want you to know there's snake venom in the shots either. And that's not on any of the ingredient decks on the emergency use applications for any of these shots. Venom's not included on there, but it's in every one of their recipes and their papers in developing them. So they didn't disclose that. Oh my God, you know how much money the government and Pfizer, Moderna, Johnson & Johnson, AstraZeneca, Cobravax have made off of these shots? There's no way they're going to admit to that. So they don't want to tell you. And then aside for in our movement, those who believe in non-censorship who decided they should censor me, which I find ironic, all the medical doctors and scientists who did not want to speak on this topic or wanted to shun me from events and keep me from speaking out, they're all cowards. And their ego is their biggest enemy. Their egos just can't stand the idea that a chiropractor figured out something you overlooked or didn't know about. And it doesn't matter. Who cares? I don't care. I didn't figure out D-dimers and blood clots were being caused by these shots. An incredible MD in Canada did, who was then attacked brutally, lost his clinic, lost his home, and he was being destroyed. So it doesn't matter who comes forth with the information. Damn it. Be open-minded and humble. I cannot believe the arrogant, pompous reactions of so many medical doctors who have pretended to actually care about audiences worldwide in this movement. And so the ego, the mighty ego and humility stand in the way of these people from being humble to be open-minded 
that maybe you don't know everything. And so I continue to remind medical doctors. I'd ask them on all these interventions that I was never afraid of conducting. I answered every single one of these Zoom calls and had everybody scream at me in my face, all kinds of obscenities and all kinds of crap. And I just sat there and then I'd go, great. I hope that's all done. Then I would thank them for everything they've done up until then. And then I would ask them all, uh, can I ask y'all a question? Raise your hand on the Zoom call if you believe you know all answers to all questions in life. And nobody did. Then I'd go like this. How many of you think you know all things? And they wouldn't. I'd say, good, neither do I. But I'm really certain about this stuff. You should be open-minded that you don't know all things. It's the only way you learn and how you gravel with new ideas and concepts and advance and grow is to ask questions and to be open-minded, not to think you know all things. And then otherwise, and if they aren't cowards and are just hiding behind their egos and fighting with their own egos, then they've been bought off and the pharmaceutical industry owns you. And it's very obvious who you are. So uh, you're either bought off, blackmailed, something. So that's all, that's all it is. Because for me, they killed my father-in-law in a hospital. Do you know who killed my father-in-law? Medical doctors did. Do you know what they used to kill my father-in-law? Pharmaceutical drugs made by Big Pharma. So ask me what I think about medical doctors who don't want to listen to me. Ask me what I think about all of you who want to defend the pharmaceutical industry and continue to promote their drugs, even today. Uh, well, screw all of you, because I don't trust y'all, and I don't trust those industries, but you continue to want to hold on tight to either the money, the fame, the title, the actual degree you carry, the MD initials, whatever it is you're holding on to, they don't care about you. They don't care about the lay people you pretended to represent and, and defend, but uh, it doesn't matter. There, none of us, none of the people speaking out against COVID, I don't care who you are, Pierre Corey, Paul Merrick, uh, Dr. Peter McCullough, Paul Elias Alexander, none of us created COVID. None of us created SARS-CoV-2. None of us created the vaccines. We're all trying to figure out what in the hell they did and then try to explain how we're going to save these people. We didn't do it. So none of these people have all the answers. We just can see some of us, there are correlations to things and we need to be open to exploring those and then looking for antidotes or wherever we can find them to help save the lives of people around the world. While we've all been lied to about everything. I mean, for the first time ever in history, medical doctors are pissed because in three and a half years now, we're now, they've now changed a narrative and now are blaming asymptomatic people for being spreaders of a disease. Oh my God, that is a fraudulent lie, never accepted to be real in all of the world's history, including in medicine. And now all of a sudden they were able to shift the mindset of medical doctors all over the world that now a non-sick person can make other people sick. Oh my God, I'm, I'm, how far do these lies go? It's so ridiculous. So it's, uh, anyway. it's actually crazy. But you know, I remember many years ago when I was working with the conventional media, I interviewed somebody about, um, it was about a whole other topic. It was actually about child sexual abuse and talking about doctors. And this person I interviewed was actually a psychiatrist at the Royal Ottawa hospital in Ottawa. And he basically said that doctors and especially psychiatrists, which are the ones that really give a lot of the drugs are the hardest people to convince that they're wrong or to change their mind or to say that they don't know everything. And then, so there's that whole thing. And then there's this whole weird mass formation or whatever you want to call it within our society where so many people, they literally think that the doctor is God. I mean, we have tried to warn so many people. It's just been very, very hard. Right. And 
so many people right from the very beginning, we knew, my husband and I knew that this was not what people thought it was. We tried to warn people and they wouldn't believe us because we, who are we? We don't know anything. We're not doctors. We don't know anything. And so that white coat carries so much power and people get so offended when you say anything else than what they're saying. And yet in, as devastating as this has been over the last three years, I think it's been really very powerful and very helpful to try and remove that veil, whatever you want to call it, that's over people's eyes. I think people are waking up to the fact that doctors don't know everything. And there's a yep. lot, this is a medical system. It's not a health system. It's a medical system. It's about pharmaceutical drugs. And it goes way back, as you said, right? Just before we went on this call, I was listening to an interview with Elon Musk and Robert Kennedy Jr., right? Presidential candidate, which I'm so thankful. I would be voting for him if I lived in the United States. Sure. Definitely, even though I'm not, I know. Anyway, that's a whole other subject. But he basically said, you know, he... The reason why I bought Twitter is because I'm, I'm paraphrasing what he said essentially, but that the, the, the need to have the freedom of speech is critical because if you don't have freedom of speech, then you don't have a democracy. And if you don't have a democracy, then where are we? And that is really the key thing. And so I'm, I'm so thankful for you. And, and so I just wanted to get your comments on, on that in regards to where are we going from here? Could this have been, as difficult as this has been, could this be a wake-up call that people are finally starting to realize that what they've been following is not what they should be following? Yeah, I have to tell you, uh, from the beginning, it was uh, when I launched the snake venom aspect of COVID on the whole world, vomited on the whole world, and it created such a massive upheaval for many, many people. A ton of people right out the gate were like, oh my God, he's right tons of medical doctors called me and were like, Oh my God, this finally answers all the questions I have wondered about with my family, my own personal health experience over the last COVID period. And then a ton of medical doctors over the last uh, year and a half have totally come around and are finally understanding the neurotoxicity side of COVID, the blood clotting effects of COVID or the blood damage and the cytotoxicity, which is the cell damage. The only thing that explains all of it is the venoms. All venom proteins cause damage to neurological tissue, blood tissue, and cell tissue. There's no virus that does that, but all venoms do that. They all have three cells in the body they destroy. So this has been very exciting to watch. Tons of people are doing it. There's just a few medical doctors that want to hold on to their egos or their paychecks from their pharmaceutical giants and want to continue to say, don't trust me. That's fine. But uh, it has been an amazing windfall to see so many people now who have been medically indoctrinated in their schools and in practices and by pharmaceutical industries to actually be open to realize, oh, my God, they have been lying to us and deceiving us. So this has been a really cool thing to watch. And there's many, many names I could throw out there. I won't do that. But the majority of them are phenomenal humans. And it's been a, a really fun thing for me to watch. Uh, and the truth is, I was really just defining I was trying to defend lay people. It wasn't the doctors I wanted to believe me. It was the lay people. And oh my God, did they resonate with this message? They knew something was really evil. They just didn't know how evil it was. And I didn't either. But uh, thank God for that text from Dr. Richard Bartlett. All right. So where do we go from here? And how do we go forward? All right. So there's a few things. They truly, I believe, were experimenting with us with COVID-19. <laughs> like I think 
they were experimenting during this three-year pandemic. They were trying to see how does the majority of the world's population respond to us. And I think that they were, I think they have learned. I'm not sure they were shocked, but I guarantee you the pushback was way more than they expected. So there's been a massive pushback. Now, initially, there was a bunch of people that signed up for the vaccine agenda. Remember, the entire agenda was to get you all to sign up for a vaccine. So you can call it a virus. You can call it venom in the water. You can call it whatever. The, the real intention was to get you to sign up for these va- venom-laced vaccines. That's what they wanted. And why would you want to inject humans with venom? What does venom do to a mammal? It kills you. So it doesn't make you healthier. It only kills you or causes disease outcomes. So they wanted to create diseases. And just so you know, during this pandemic, at the time they're spreading these venoms throughout everybody called COVID and the vaccines, they are investigating all those 36 venoms right now, publishing papers that when they inject those same venoms during the pandemic, I'm talking about during this pandemic, they have labs all over the world taking those venoms of COVID and injecting them into animals. And they're creating all kinds of human diseases. Parkinson's, type 1 diabetes, glioblastoma tumors, myocarditis in animals. They're doing this in animal models in 72 hours or less, confirming that's what the venoms do. And then they are researching the antidotes, which are going to be drugs. But why is this important? The whole agenda was to get these venoms inside of you or these vaccines, get everybody in the world to sign up. They know they're going to create a bunch of human disease with them. That's why they're studying it. And then guess what they're going to come up with? They're creating the problems in these diseases so they can create new drugs to sell you for the rest of your life. The rest of you are going to die. And why would they want you to die? Well, they actually believe, the globalists do, and there's there's these major organizations that most of your audiences may not know. There's what's called the Committee of 300 that's based primarily out of the UK. The Committee of 300 runs and operates through a company called, or an organization called the Club of Rome. And the Committee of 300 is trying to manage and govern the entire world as one group, one one government, one religion, one currency. That's the Committee of 300. But they have been convinced in publishing since the 1960s with the Club of Rome's help, which is not in Rome, by the way. It's just called the Club of Rome. They have put together an agenda starting in the 1960s. They said, we're going to use global warming as our, our climate change narrative as a way to convince people that there's too many humans on the planet using up the resources on the planet faster than it can recycle them. So they are convinced, the Committee of 300, the Club of Rome, who oversees the World Economic Forum, which everybody's probably heard of. The, way, the World Economic Forum is just, they're, they're the pawns for the Club of Rome and the Committee of 300. The Committee of 300 doesn't want you to know who they are. The Club of Rome doesn't want you to see their faces. They have these players for them. They're actors. That's the World Economic Forum, the Jesuits, the Illuminati, and the Freemasonry group. So these are the people they oversee to do their bidding. Their goal is by 2050. This is what they've stated since 1960. By 1950, there can only be allowed to be living 1 billion humans. They started publishing in the year 2000, that by the year 2020, they are going to start their initiative to depopulate the planet. Oh, really? Well, what happened in 2020? A COVID-19 pandemic that led to an agenda to vaccinate the whole world. What did Bill Gates say in his TEDx talk in 2010 or 11? 
What do you say? He basically said what they were going to be doing, that they're going to try and vaccinate the entire world and that they were going he, to use that to basically reduce the population. I mean, it was right there. He said it. He, so, actually, he yeah. actually says verbatim yeah. that climate change is an effect of overpopulation. And in mm. order to correct this, we have to depopulate the planet by 5 to 15%. And then he turns and looks at the crowd. Now, you have to understand what he just said. He just said we have to murder... Five to fifteen percent of the world's population. That's and what nobody, he said. Nobody did anything. It was amazing. Nobody said just, a word. Everybody just he listened, and he just said that so clearly. It was crazy. He, and he looks at the crowd. He was looking at the screen when he repeats all this, and he looks at the crowd and he says, "And we know we can depopulate the planet by five to fifteen percent with vaccines." Oh, really? How do you know that, Bill Gates? They must have been experimenting already with vaccines to depopulate groups of people, and they were. So this is what they're saying. 2020 was the launching point. They had between 2020, supposedly, and 2050 to accomplish their agenda, which is depopulate 7 billion people from the planet. There's only 8 billion right now. So to depopulate the planet to 1 billion. In their writings, the Committee of 300 says, of the 1 billion left to live, we're only going to allow half of them to come from China and Japan. So 500 million will come from China and Japan. And they write, why? Because they're already conditioned to respect and follow authority without question. It's in their DNA. It's in their epigenetics. They are wired this way. So they're going to kill off 500 million people from the rest of the planet and then keep 500 million from China and Japan. And that's going to be who they expect to have living on this earth by 2050. This is how you start to understand and gravel with the actual agenda all along was the vaccines. It was, we are going to create infertility in all the pregnant women to cause miscarriages. And we're going to create infertility in people who can't get pregnant anymore. This is going to stop us from giving birth any further, which they've already done with vaccines that they didn't tell people in South Africa and India were to create infertility. Gavi, Bill Gates's vaccine uh, charity group, was sponsoring in South Africa and all over Africa and in India just to, over this last decade, vaccine agendas for diseases without telling the moms we're actually causing infertility inside of you. You're, you're making babies we can't feed, too many of you on this planet. So they view us as uh, dispendables, actually, and we can just be eradicated from the earth. There's too many of us, and they're going to blame it on the earth that we are using up too much of the resources of the planet and we're destroying it. So we have to destroy you. And so that's what they're doing. So how do we actually combat this? Easy. It's just super easy. You just say no to them. And then this is what you do. You take every precaution you can because what they're using right now as their main plan is to use venoms to kill you or to cause infertility or turbo cancers that will kill you, which is what venom does in a mammal. So all the side effects you're seeing from the vaccines are caused by venoms and all published. I, I show the whole world this all the time. So how do you actually manage keeping them from killing you? Because they're going to now put the mRNA technology in your food, which they're already injecting food, cattle, vegetables. They want you to eat this stuff so your body starts replicating and making venoms for them. So it's going to be in your air, water, food, and then they're going to vaccinate you and put you on booster schedules. And over time, they're going to accomplish their goal, they think, of 1 billion people left on the planet by the year 2050. Well, just so you know, 
We're already finding and telling the world the antidotes to venom. Nicotine's the perfect antidote, and this will explain to you with now this agenda I just mentioned about depopulation attempt. Uh, nicotine was always the antidote, and now it should make sense why England, Canada, America, New Zealand, and Australia, within two months of my Watch the Water documentary dropping with the antidote being listed as nicotine, number one, every single one of those countries now have announced two months after my Watch the Water documentary dropped, they announced national countrywide health agendas that they are now going to eradicate access to tobacco nicotine products, or sorry, nicotine products in general to their population by the year 2030. It will be no longer available to them. This should explain to you why they're doing that because they need people to not have access to the antidote. New Zealand published the most aggressive health agenda for their country. They said, we're going to have a nicotine-free product by 2025. So be ready. These people are trying to squeeze you of the antidote so you don't have access to them. They are going to weaponize venoms from here on out. How do I know that? Do you know the word virus is a Latin word for venom? I've heard you say that, yes. So all these pandemics, which are viruses, bird flus, Ebola virus, Marburg virus, the word virus means venom. They are only utilizing venoms and calling them viruses. It's really wild. So if you want to stay alive, we have to stay alive in order for them not to kill you. You can't be diseased and lethargic to not be able to fight back and withstand and resist. So the way we win is to stay alive. How do you do that? It's very easy. You use nicotine products every day to prevent it, either a patch of two milligram size or roughly. I buy 14 milligram patches and cut them into six equal pieces and I wear one every day. Or you can chew a two milligram nicotine gum that actually will prevent you from actually having venom or viruses, as they call them, to bind to those receptors and make you sick in the future. Any virus, by the way, flu, measles, doesn't matter. All of them are blocked by nicotine. And then the second thing is, is food-grade hydrogen peroxide and EDTA supplementation completely destroy venom in the body. So it breaks it into pieces, destroys it, and then you have to bind something to it. And it's very simple. Bentonite clay or apple pectin powder uh, are the perfect antidotes to bind to them and help you chelate out these venom pieces you've broken apart with EDTA or food grade hydrogen peroxide or both. And then you shouldn't be afraid at all ever again of what they're going to utilize as weapons called viruses to make the majority of the population sick again. Can remember I just, let, let me just ask you a question. So the whole thing about nicotine, I remember when you first came out with that, right? Remdesivir, then the snake venom guy, now the nicotine guy. Oh, yeah. And what you're saying makes sense. However, you know, I don't smoke. I have never been a smoker. I remember watching the movie The Insider, right, where they were basically, they were caught committing perjury, basically saying that, that nicotine that was not addictive. And yet this Insider movie, based on a true story, the whistleblower basically saying that the, the cigarettes were to be serving as a, a vehicle to basically give people nicotine, which was addictive. So we've been hearing about smoking. Everybody used to smoke back in the forties, right? All the movies I used oh, to yeah. watch people giving interviews on TV with a cigarette right there, right? We don't smoke anymore. Most people don't anyway, still people, some people do. So how do you, how do you um, balance that? We've been programmed and to told yeah. about this for years and years and years, right? 
Yeah, just remember the agenda is to depopulate the planet. There's these crazy people in the world that believe there's too many people. They have to control them. They want a one world government, a new world order. The way to do that is reduce the group. There's too many to manage right now, 8 billion. We can't control all of them. We need to reduce the size of the people. So I believe that they have been on point about trying over the last several decades to convince you how deadly and toxic nicotine plants are like tobacco. Well, the truth is nicotine is not addictive for all of those at home that are wondering if it is. And Dr. R is just crazy. Look up on Google, type in Harvard 2015 study and nicotine addictive. Just look it up. Harvard published in 2015 with animal models that nicotine is not addictive. And they couldn't figure out why it wasn't addictive. So they did FOIA requests with the tobacco industry. And they actually got all their research from the 70s and 80s and found out something amazing. That tobacco giants knew that nicotine and nicotine and tobacco were not addictive. So they added a chemical called pyrazines that finally made nicotine and tobacco products addictive. Then they laced the cigarette paper with arsenic to cause cancer. And oh my God, now they could blame tobacco plants as causing cancer when you inhale it. Well, just so y'all know at home, you don't know this because I didn't know it either until recently in the last six months. You know, nicotine is found in tobacco plants, but that's not the only plant. Did you know nicotine is in eggplants and in tomatoes? In fact, there's 10 times more nicotine in green tomatoes than red tomatoes. Did you know all potatoes have nicotine in them? Did you know celery has nicotine in it? Did you know cauliflower has nicotine in it? And then I'd like to ask you, young lady, how many people do you know in Canada have asked their bosses for a celery break so they could go outside and eat their celery they're addicted to? You know anybody? <laughs> no. Or I ate cauliflower at a party last night and I'm craving cauliflower. I just can't sleep. I'm going through withdrawals. No, nicotine's not addictive. God made those plants. You're a Christian. I'm a Christian. God made vegetables for you made plants on the earth before he made you. And then he said, everything I put on the earth is for the benefit of man. Really? Really? Well, if all of you out there who are wondering, this chiropractor keeps telling us to try nicotine, but man keeps publishing in the media that it's bad for us and causes diseases. When you get up before judgment, your job is now to ask God. Uh, Dr. Artis asked me to ask you, why, if nicotine is so bad for us, why did you put it in my vegetables? All nightshade vegetables contain nicotine. And then why on day six, when he created you, why on every single cell of your human body, every cell, including your immune cells, brain cells, ovaries, sperm, eggs, every part of your human body, why do they have nicotine receptors on all of them? You guys get to ask him, I didn't make you and I definitely didn't make the plants. So take it up with God and ask him, why did you make this thing? If it's so deadly and toxic, no, once again, Man has figured out how to adulterate the creations of God and make them toxic, deadly, and then spin a lie to you so they can tell you their creations called vaccines and drugs are the greatest things to keep you healthy. A great fraudulent lie that people who do not believe in God continue to spread around the world. You've just given the mission statement for pharmaceutical companies. Basically, Absolutely. For the last, you know, hundred years or more, right? Oh, yeah. When you were, when you were in Canada, you talked about this. Um, it was a magazine from 1999, "The Future of Medicine: How Genetic Engineering Will Change Us in the Next Century to Change God's Design into Something Else." I'm figuring that is the whole point of all of this. 
because yeah, everybody at home look it up look up time magazine's january 11th 1999 magazine cover and look at the illustration it's titled the future of medicine how genetic engineering will change us in the next century look at the illustration you'll see a dna double helix and half of your god-given dna that god put inside of you is now being changed by genetic engineering is the future of medicine and all of you should be disgusted at what you see they actually illustrate what they're going to change half of your dna to you should be shocked uh, but in reference i'll just share this with you notice that the pharmaceutical world and scientific world believes that god created something fallible that our dna he gave us is causing diseases that we're experiencing in mortality so they convince you that we can delete your god-given genes and replace them with our genes that they call CRISPR technology. Well, before you even look at the illustration, I just want you to know, CRISP, that we're spending billions of dollars figuring out how to insert into your DNA, the word CRISP, which is CRISPR technology, CRISPs are cysteine-rich snake venom proteins. That's what it stands for. They are actually spending billions of dollars wanting to delete your human DNA and insert snake venom reptile DNA in its place. And God said in the Garden of Eden, he puts enmity between the seed of the woman and the serpent. And what has science tried to do ever since? How can we put the serpent's DNA inside of the human and change God's creation? Now, I have to actually go. I've got a, a, a destination and a date with my 17-year-old daughter to teach her how to drive a stick. That's going to be fun. <laughs> I, I taught my kids how to do that. I just want to ask you one more question. Thank you so much for your time. And I will be praying. I Thank taught you. my son how to drive a stick too. And uh, it's a very bonding experience, so I must say, right? I just cool. wanted to say, well, you mentioned about the, the committee of 300. That was when I, when, when God was drawing me in, I, I basically was seven year process. It's a whole story. It's my testimony. It's my first episode of this podcast, Our Creator Calls, because he is calling us. He's calling us to him. He's calling people to realize the truth. You're part of that. I'm part of yeah. that. People who are speaking the truth are part of that. And that was one of the very, aside from the Bible, where he, he, that was the first book he led me to, The Committee of 300 was the second book that he led me to. I read that back in 1992. It was banned in Canada. And I thought, what am I reading here? There you go. I have the exact book on my website or on my, on my bookshelf. And that book, you know, it tells the truth about what's really going on. These people think that they are God. They're trying to erase God's creation and we are made in God's image. That's why, and this is why I believe this is all happening. It's a spiritual Absolutely. war. The foundational aspect of this show is to talk about the spiritual aspect of what's really going on, what's getting in the way of us getting closer to God. It's a spiritual war. This is a war, like you said, I'm going to put enmity between the seed of the serpent and the seed of the woman and it's been going on ever since then. So I'd just like to ask you, so I don't make you late for you, your uh, appointment with your daughter, which is really important. Okay. How would you end this? Just What would you say to people as a final thought on what we do here? Because I know that you are wanting to, to tell people about deception and to warn people. Mm -hmm. and you've done that in this interview and many interviews before this, and you will continue to do that. What's your final thoughts that you would leave people yeah, with? My number one thought would be this. Everything I've learned throughout COVID was me researching on my own. 
And once, and I believe God gave us a mind that is incredible, a spirit and a gut punch feeling that allows us to discern whether or not something's true or false. He's given us internal guides and he is our guide. So reestablishing your faith in God, whatever it takes for you to continue to build on that relationship, have faith in what God created, and then spend time alone in your own time researching what people are telling you. Do not accept anything I've said, just cold turkey, because I'm on an interview and my name is Dr. Artist and I have a doctor title. Please do not do that. Go back and look at all my interviews and then look at the actual, remember everything I even said here, I said, go look it up, <laughs> go look it up, go look it up. Ignorance is not always bliss. And I'm telling you, I think people have gotten away from the ability to trust themselves. And trust me, they don't want you to trust yourself. They want you to trust their narrative for you, for them. They want you to only believe them in what they say. Uh, there is no man on this earth that is God. And any medical doctor who acts like he is God, say goodbye and walk away. Uh, you want people that are more open-minded or allow you the opportunity to go do your own research and then see how you feel and then pray about it. God will answer your questions. I believe he's your father in heaven. And as a parent, I believe he would want you to know the truth as you're navigating these mortal experiences in life. So listen, go research, pray, see how you feel on your own. Apply those principles that you feel are specific for you, either to avoid or to accept. And then watch how God shows up miraculously in your life. It's going to be amazing. Well, he showed up miraculously in my life for sure. I just want to thank you so much for all of that. And um, yeah, I just encourage people. I'm actually happy, as difficult as this has been, I really believe that, that the Lord, God, our creator, allowed all of this to happen as difficult as, as it has been, because it has served to wake people up, is continuing to wake people up. I don't know why people have trusted the government so much, because just look at history. There has, it just happened over and over and over and over. I mean, there's so many examples of it. So I just, um, I thank you for this. And, and is it all right if I just pray for you before we go? Of course. Yeah. Okay. Uh, Lord, I just thank you so much for Dr. Artis. And I just thank you for his, unrelenting desire that you've given him to seek for truth, to seek for you, to seek for the ability to warn and all of the things that you've shown him over the, the, the last three years. I ask that you continue to heal his family with um, what they've had to endure with um, the remdesivir, his, his wife and his children and the extended family. I pray that you put a hedge of protection around him in the, the next days and weeks to come and that you would continue to give him even more platforms to get the truth that you have given him out. And that even though he wasn't a public speaker before, I'm thankful that he is now. And I pray that you would continue to help him to have a, a, a an idea, have a, an ability to pursue truth without fear because perfect love casts out all fear. Just, I thank you for him, guard him, put a hedge of protection around him and his family and uh, continue to give him uh, open doors of the truth that you want to share with the world. Thank you, Father. Amen. Thank you. Have fun driving. Hey, thanks. It's going to be a lot of fun. I'm looking <laughs> forward to the cortisol release as we do this. <laughs> God that'll, definitely be the, that'll definitely be the case. Thank you so much exactly. for your time. And perhaps another time I'd love to talk with you in the future. Oh, we'd I'll love be... to. Yeah, absolutely. Right. And then, and then we will be in Toronto, me and Peter McCullough are coming at the end of October with Laura Lynn again. Come on up to Toronto. We'll be hanging out there. 
Well, I'm from, I'm from Ontario, but I live in uh, BC now, as you know, but uh, you never know. I will see what I can do. That's awesome. Bring it up. All It'll right. Thank you so Thank much. You. Okay. Bye-bye. A voice, a voice calling in your wilderness. When I accepted that Jesus is the truth that I had been seeking and the only way to eternal life, I was forever changed. In that moment, Jesus rescued me out of the kingdom of darkness and delivered me into his kingdom of glorious light. He truly set this captive free. So what about you? Jesus says, I stand at the door and knock. If you hear my voice and open the door, I will come in and we will share a meal together as friends. When you're ready to receive Jesus as your Savior, just talk to him. He's waiting for you with open arms. Our Creator calls. Are you listening? There is one love, one truth, one way to know. When you turn to the sun, all darkness must go. A voice, a voice calling in your wilderness.